So uh, I'm sure as you have expected from me for a while now, you probably expect a 1 Corinthians 13 lesson every time I get up here. We are getting close to the end of this, so hopefully you're not too exhausted by having run through this list of qualities of love from 1 Corinthians 13 at this point. Um, but I hope that even though I personally can't remember all the things we talked about at the beginning of the list at this point, I'm sure you can't either, but I hope that despite that, you have a better sense and feeling of what love actually looks like from day to day, right? It may, you may not be able to put your thumb on every little thing we've talked about, but hopefully it's equipped you in some practical ways that you've actually maybe even seen change in your thinking or your actions as we've been going through this series. Um, I would like to talk about kind of key in on verse 7 because that's where we're picking up in our list of these qualities. And look at with me in verse 7. We talked about last time I spoke, this idea that love bears all things. Um, and we talked about how love is kind of similar there in this instance to being patient too, but really this idea that you kind of, you hold up under and even cover over some things. And love does that. But this morning, I want to kind of pair up the next two qualities here, and I want to talk about in verse 7 how it says that love also believes all things and hopes all things. I started to do believes all things, and I couldn't talk about that without talking about hopes all things. I do think they're different, but they're so like hand in hand that I'm just going to pair them up. Um, in fact, uh, Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In a lot of ways, we look at that passage as kind of a definition of what faith looks like, right, for, for Christians. But really, what I'm taking that verse to show is kind of faith and hope, right? This idea of belief and hope are hand in hand, right? In fact, belief can be defined by how it's an assurance of the things that have been hoped for, right? So we're going to talk about them together this morning. And so... With that, I want to remind us of a couple things that um, are helpful for this lesson and that we've been highlighting almost every time. The, the type of love talked about in 1 Corinthians 13, I'm sure we all remember at this point, is this agape love. Agape love is important for a few reasons. One is it's a selfless love. It's not a romantic love. It's not a familial love. It's kind of this choice that's made over and over and over again. So I can have agape love for my mom. I can have agape love for my roommate. I can have agape love for people I go to church with. Agape love is, being, is a choice that you make and you can show to anybody. Meanwhile, the romantic love that I have can really only, as a married man, be shown to one person. Agape love can be shared, right? And so it's this choice and its backbone is this idea of selflessness, right? And so, as we talk about love believes and hopes all things, just remember that that's the type of love that does that, right? Okay, and so with that, um, I think there's a couple things that we're going to focus in on this morning. If I want to mimic or reproduce the type of love that God has and is, 1 John 4, right, God is love, then I need to figure out what this means. This believes all things and hopes all things. And I don't know if you guys are like me, but when I read that, I think, 
Um, certainly that can't mean what I think it means, right? Because when I hear believes all things and hopes all things, it sounds really gullible, doesn't it? And so we're going to talk some about that. What's interesting to me, just as a preface, is when I was uh, trying to prepare for this, kind of like bears all things, you expect that when you dive into like the root word and and you're looking for some sort of direction as far as how to talk about this stuff, you expect it to kind of get whittled down for you and be like, oh, that's what that means, like this, these two or three ideas. But none of these seem to be doing that. They really just mean like bears all things, believes all things. There's really no like way to whittle that down in and of itself. And so what a, some of our conversation this morning is going to be for us is like what kind of believes all things does Scripture bear out? Because the word really just means to believe all things, but certainly Scripture kind of helps us get a better grasp of what that is. Um, and so that's where I want to go, actually, with this first point. There's kind of uh, two points in this lesson primarily. Uh, one is, the first one we're talking about is believing and hoping in God's word. When I look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, I see believes all things, hopes all things. That could be anything, right? Like, am I supposed to, if you walk up to me and tell me that the world is flat, do I have, like, a command from God that I need to believe that and find some sort of hope in that? Or, like, that you lie to my face and I know you're lying to my face. Do I need to, like, believe that? And, like, my hope is conditional to that lie that I know you're telling me? So, obviously, like, we get into some hang-ups with this, Right? And so I think the foundation for this is that we need to believe and hope in God's word, and that's going to direct the believing and hoping that we have specifically, right? And so I want to kind of flesh that out a little bit. So I want to start with this kind of premise, and hopefully you guys all agree with this. God does that which is unbelievable, that which is inexplicable, and that which is impossible. And those are just three words that I chose to kind of just describe, like God operates so we might say in mysterious ways, right? He does the unthinkable and the unimaginable and the inexplicable, all these like big words that we think of. God does that. And so I'll give you a couple examples of this. And I just picked a few out. Like God creating everything in seven days, right? Doesn't it kind of fit that description, like those words? Or how about this? God sending plagues, like 10 of them, on Egypt to create a nation for himself. To me, that fits a lot of those descriptions. Or maybe perhaps healing the sick, lame, and dead. Maybe think about how Jesus did that, right? Unimaginable, inexplicable in a lot of ways. Dying to save mankind from our sins. God did that. Isn't that like impossible? To me, that just seems impossible, right? Preparing an eternal home for believers to join him in eternity. And so all these things are just kind of general truths, sir words that God has shared with us, teachings, that I think in some way or some capacity reflect this idea that God does things that are unbelievable, impossible, inexplicable, however you want to describe them, right? Because God does those things, I think by his nature, right, God is love, doesn't he kind of prepare us? He puts in front of our face these impossible things that we have to believe in. Like by nature, because of God, who, who God is, God is love. He's forcing us to believe some things that seem unbelievable. And so I think that kind of idea prepares us for this application of love believes all things. You know, God 
says he creates everything in seven days, well, do I believe that or not, right? And we're kind of faced with this reality of choice even when we approach God, right? If I'm going to love God, I have to wrestle with these unbelievable, impossible things that God is saying that I need to believe in, right? In fact, he doesn't just stop there. He's not just like, you have to accept that these things have occurred. In fact, most of what God allows us to find hope in is based on those impossible, unbelievable, inexplicable things, isn't it? For example, and these are going to parallel the examples I just gave you. Being made in God's image. It's kind of the flip side, right? The belief is God created all things in seven days, and the hope in that for me that I see is that I've been made in God's image, right? Or being God's holy, special people, right? We're going to study 1 Peter um, coming up, and that talks a lot about how Christians are that, right? There's a hope in that. Being healed from your sins and your unrighteousness. The fact that God can heal the blind, sick, and the lame means that I have a hope that God would do that for me, right? Or perhaps uh, knowing you are bound for eternal life with God, right? The fact that God says, I've gone to prepare a place for you, that's unbelievable, but I need to believe it. But the hope tied to that is that that means something for me, right? And so when I approach God, I have to wrestle with unbelievable, inexplicable things that I'm supposed to believe, right? But also, not only am I supposed to believe them, the things that God says matter to me are based in those unbelievable things, right? They're just these grandiose things that seem impossible. My hope is founded in them. And so I think when we really come to God, what we're doing is we're believing and hoping in all of God's words, right? And so when we come to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, it says, Love believes all things, hopes all things. Paul's writing to people that have already begun to do that, right? You've believed all the things God said, and you've hoped in all the things God's given you to hope in, and they seemed impossible, right? And so now we have to kind of be like, all right, so I get that. That foundation is within us. If I'm a Christian, God has already been building that foundation in me because that's how he operates, right? So now I have to say, how do I live that out? Like, what does that mean for me in a day-to-day kind of way, right? Well, believing the truths and promises of God should produce within us a hope that relies on the truths and promises, right? And learning to believe and hope in God's word puts in place the foundation that you need to love love others the way 1 Corinthians 13 describes. So what I mean by this is this agape love that we're talking about in the context of 1 Corinthians 13... um, it's going to look a few ways. In fact, I want to look at 1 Corinthians. If you go to the beginning of the book, chapter 1, I'm just going to pick three examples just from the book of 1 Corinthians. I'm sure there's more in 1 Corinthians, and no doubt there's more in the Bible. But I'm just going to stick to kind of just a few in this, uh, in this book here. So if you look in uh, chapter 1 here, What does it mean for me to believe all things and to hope all things, as 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7 says? If I'm going to love, I have to do that somehow, whatever that means. Well, 
I think uh, one way that your love needs to do that, like you might ask, why do I need to do that? And I'm going to suggest to you three examples. Because you are different and people are different from you. You're different and they're different from you. And the reason I bring that up is because look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And we'll just stop there for our reading. Right? Division. That's kind of how we sum up this section. But it's kind of this foundational division, isn't it? And what I mean by that is not that there's different religious beliefs represented in this group. Every person that's speaking, right, that we know as this book unfolds is a believer. But the problem is that their belief is, they're attributing it to kind of a different tool, right? Paul's one tool, Paulus is another tool, Christ is in this picture one other tool, and and they're all kind of people that have served to, to produce belief in these individuals. And so they're saying, well, I'm a product of this guy or this guy or this guy. Ultimately, what I'm seeing in this is division, and we all see that. Why does this matter? How does this relate to what I'm trying to bring up? Well, believing and hoping all things, right, if I'm going to love, wouldn't that kind of kill this division to begin with, right? For instance, what I mean by that is look at verse 18. And I think this is what Paul's trying to get to in this. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Doesn't that tie back to what had already happened in verse like 10 through 13 there? Like, did they really believe that the person from Apollos and the person from Cephas and the person from Paul was going to be, as it says in verse 18, saved by the power of God. Did they really question that that could happen for someone who was taught by someone different from who they were taught from? It seems like perhaps foundationally they did. Maybe they thought that they had to come the way that they came, right? And so what I'm seeing in this is what's undergirding this whole idea of division because people are coming from different backgrounds is that maybe they didn't believe and hope in all the things that God is teaching. And verse 18 reminds us the gospel saves, right? What difference does it make if it comes from Cephas or Paul or Apollos? Like if it's the gospel, verse 18, it has the power to save, right? And so... Perhaps in that moment, if the Corinthians had done a better job of loving one another, choosing love, agapeing, so to speak, they would have believed and hoped in this instance that the gospel actually had the power to change these people despite wherever they were coming from, right? And that's going to spill out through the rest of this book, and that's fleshed out in more ways than just this text. But for the sake of time, let's go ahead and move on. So what we learn from that is this agape love believes and hopes 
in others' sincerity. Right? Chapter, uh, chapter 3, the next example. Why do I need to believe and hope all things? Well, because you and or some other people are not spiritually mature yet. Chapter 3 talks about those who hadn't grown like they should have, right? Look in verse uh, 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not re yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For a while there is jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So the foundational issue in this text actually is kind of the same as chapter 1. He references kind of the same thing, but he's saying that's proof of their immaturity, how they haven't grown. And so I'm, I'm going to suggest that perhaps maybe you aren't spiritually mature yet. Maybe you see that in yourself. Maybe you are, but maybe you're dealing with people that aren't, right? Like we all do at some point, either I have growing to do or the people around me have growing to do. And maybe this is a specific way in which we're different sometimes, right? Because growth is kind of a a thing that's always changing. You're never going to meet someone in the same spot, right? So why does love need to be believing and hoping all things? Well, if I don't believe and hope the foundational things of God, that God can actually change people, chapter 1, verse 18, the gospel can actually produce change in people and save people, well, then I, why would I believe verse 6 of chapter 3, Right? That someone could water and that, in fact, God would give the increase. That's something that God requires me to believe in. And that's something that God actually requires me to hope in. That someone could actually plant a seed. And God, because of chapter 1, verse 18, can cause some dead person to be alive. And not just, like, become a baby, right? The point of this text is that now they're not just like this helpless living baby, but that they could actually grow to be someone strong, right? If I don't believe and hope all things, I'm going to look like the Corinthians in chapter 3, and I'm just going to think, I can't grow. No one needs to grow. I'll just stay like this immature, divisive person, right? And so love, believing and hoping all things, in this text, I believe hopes and believes in the gospel's ability to cause growth in myself or other people. And so when I'm loving other people, that needs to be part of my believing and hoping all things. Is when I see them, I know that God can cause them to grow. I know that God can cause me to grow. And then I can believe in that and I can hope in that. Right? Love believes and hopes all things. Another example from 1 Corinthians is in chapter 5. I, didn't, I, I struggled with kind of a way to paraphrase this. Um, I ended up settling with this. Why would I need to believe and hope all things? Well, because in chapter 5, myself or other people make mistakes. There's a lot of other ways you could probably paraphrase this and learn good things from. Because in chapter 5, it talks about how a man was sleeping with his father's wife, and it was a sexually immoral thing to do, and that meant sin, right? Part of the problem was he was doing that, 
and was still worshiping with the church there and didn't seem to think anything was wrong with that. And the other part of the problem was that the church kind of overlooked it and was just, seems like that they were just kind of giving him a pass, not really dealing with it, maybe didn't even think it was wrong. I don't know. But it, it was a mistake nonetheless, wasn't it, on both parts. It was a mistake to think for that man that he could do that and it wasn't an issue and that he didn't have to do anything about it. And it was a mistake on the church's part to think that they could overlook it and that perhaps it wasn't an issue as well. And so that tells me that if I'm going to believe and hope all things, let's read these two verses here, verse 1 and verse 2. This is how it's going to apply. Verse 1, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. If I don't believe and hope all things in my love for other people, why would I take action here? Like if I don't really believe that the gospel is the power to save, chapter 1, verse 18, if I don't really believe in chapter 3, verse 6, that God, someone can water and God can actually cause growth in that person, then when I deal with something like in chapter 5, I do exactly what the Corinthians did and just let it ride, right? But if I believe and hope in all the things God has already taught me to believe and hope in, all those impossible, inexplicable, un, you know, unbelievable things, then I have zero reason to believe that this man wouldn't change or couldn't change, right? And that I would have zero reason to believe that verse 2 wouldn't actually work, Right? Remove this man from among you, and as you continue to read in verse 5, right, this man's flesh is going to be given to Satan for the destruction of it, so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. Why would I believe that, right? If I don't believe and hope all things that God has taught me to believe and hope all things in. And so when I think about 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, I'm thinking, in a practical way, God has taught me to believe and hope in these things, and this is what it looks like. Chapter 1, we're not dividing because I believe and hope all things that God can make different people live. In chapter 3, I believe and hope all things because God has taught me that people can change and grow. Right? In chapter 5, God, I believe and hope all things with you and with myself when we make mistakes because God has told me and shown me that there's a way to fix it. Right? There's a way to come back from it. In fact, chapter, uh, chapter 6 has this beautiful passage in verse 9, right, where he says, Do you not know that the uh, unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And he lists a bunch of types of people. The sexually immoral, we think of chapter 5, right? The idolaters, the adulterers, perhaps chapter 5 as well. Nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is not where this section ends. Verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If God hasn't taught me already just by who he is to believe and hope in those types of things, the unbelievable, impossible changes, he created all things in seven days, and I'm made in the image of God, right? He sent plagues on Egypt to create a nation for himself, and now... As a Christian, I'm his holy and special person. Like, if I don't believe in hope in those types of things, I don't believe in hope in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. I don't. 
it's a natural extension for Christians to believe and hope all things because we already have. And so in my love for other people, I should look at someone's mistake and be like, such were some of you, such was I, but God has changed. God has worked in me. God has, through my belief and my hope, been able to do this and that and the other because of the gospel, right? So that's just three quick examples I see just in the first few chapters of Corinthians of what believing and hoping all things can look like in practical terms. And I think this church was lacking that, and that's why they had so many problems. They didn't actually believe people would grow. They didn't actually believe people different from themselves could live. They didn't actually hope in the fact that transformation could happen. So the question is, in a lot of ways, do we look like this Corinthians church in that way? Like, is this a group of people that actually believes the things God has laid out for us and we find hope in those? And so in our interactions, we live like we believe that and we have hope in the things that we say we believe in. By choosing to, I say this accommodatively, by choosing to agape, right, uh, our Christian family and even the world by believing and hoping all things proves our belief and hope that God can and will do unbelievable, inexplicable, and impossible things in the lives of people. And that's what God's calling us to do in 1 Corinthians 13. Right? So that really is what I wanted to say about 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7. I think that's what it means. I think believing and hoping all things is certainly couched in God's uh, terms, the things he wants us to believe and hope in, and we don't stagnate that. We don't create in our own self doubts about those things. We don't let our experiences hinder our hopes in the things God has wanted us to place hope in. But I do think I want to spend a moment on a few kind of, I didn't know how to phrase this, caveats, things that might help inform this. One place that I struggle with this idea a lot personally, I'm going to be honest with you guys, is trying to be wise, trying to be shrewd in like my dealings with people and just like life and expectations, right? So like how do we juggle this believing and hoping all things with not being gullible or ignorant? You know, like how do, you know, how do I juggle that? The only thing that I can think to say Um, is this. Believing and hoping all things in the name of Christian love, this agape, right, does not mean we do not need to exercise wisdom or discernment. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, Jesus says this to his disciples at the time. Um, We can read this together. It reads, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, So, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And he goes on and on about what's going to happen, right? There is this idea that Jesus, even dealing with his disciples, required some wisdom and shrewdness in how they kind of carried themselves. So the question is, how did they believe and hope all things in light of this this wisdom or this... uh, shrewdness that they were to have and i'm assuming in the context of this i think we get a couple of things 
right back in uh, the section before this, particularly in verse 15, immediately before what we read, there's some uh, evidence here. Verse 15, Sodom and Gomorrah is going to have a better judgment than the people in these towns, or these towns, right? And so they've already proven themselves unworthy. And the scenario is, if they do not accept you into their homes and hear what you have to say, that's what's said in verse 15. So that's the evidence, right? Like, that's just the facts. Like, when they respond this way, this is the proclamation. So you get to verse 16, right? I'm sending you out in the midst of wolves as sheep. But then look also with me in verse 18. You'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And they're going to deliver you over and yada, yada, yada. The reason I wanted to bring up verse uh, 14 and verse 18 is I think this shrewdness and this wisdom is dealing with facts. They are going, they, they have and they will reject and not accept. And they have and they will take you to the courts and drag you. And so I will say this. Believing and hoping all things in the name of Christian love does not mean we need to not exercise wisdom and discernment. And that does not mean we ignore the facts or the evidence. Right? And so if I'm going to believe and hope all things when I'm dealing with Angela, I need to hope and believe that God can actually save her. I need to believe and hope that God can actually cause her and me to grow and transform and change when she makes mistakes. There's no shadow or variation of those beliefs and hopes that I need to be founded on, right? But at the same time, if Angela is acting like the people in Matthew chapter 10, right? She's rejecting and she's gonna hurt me and like has proven that that's who she is and that's the facts that's the evidence and so there's a certain sense in which i need to deal wisely because of the evidence in front of me right god's not calling us to be gullible in that sense so i don't know if that's the best explanation of how to pair kind of this idea of believing and hoping all things with the idea that we still need to be wise and we still need to be aware of like the reality of a situation um One is circumstantial, right? Wisdom is circumstantial. Matthew 10, be wise because these are the kinds of people you're with. My belief and my hope is not circumstantial. I always believe and hope all things that God has taught me to believe and hope in. And finally, kind of uh, the last caveat, and this is a more personal one. So kind of think about this and be real with yourself on this. Believing and hoping all things in the name of Christian love does mean you will be taken advantage of and defrauded. When I believe that God can actually change you and you and work in your lives, that's going to move me to love like 1 Corinthians 13 does, and that makes me vulnerable because I'm hoping and believing the best, but unfortunately not the, the best doesn't always happen, right? But we got... But because I have reason to believe and hope in that, because God does do that, I'm going to invest in those ways, right? I'm going to let people in. I'm going to try to help people change and grow. And sometimes that means you're going to get cheated or hurt, right? Matthew chapter 5 talks about that. Matthew chapter 5. This will be it as we wrap up. Begin with me in verse 38 of Matthew 5. 
You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile with him, go, but go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I think Matthew chapter 5 is saying that basically we're going to be cheated and defrauded and taken advantage of, but like, so what? In the context of this, right, it's being a kingdom, uh, a citizen of the kingdom, right? I believe that God has a kingdom and I have hope in that kingdom. So, so what? Right. So what? This is not a reason this being taken advantage of and being defrauded is not a reason to fail in our love or to stop believing and hoping all things, but it's an opportunity to prove that God, to prove to God that indeed we do love, we do believe, and we do hope. In all things. And in this, verse 45, right, will be proven sons. And in verse 48, will be made perfect. And so I hope that this lesson's been helpful for you to think about what it means to really believe and hope all things. And hopefully, we've addressed some of the fears and concerns with that, these caveats, right? Like, how do I begin to think about wisdom and believing? What if I'm going to be taken advantage of? I think God still calls us to operate in belief and hope in our love. So if there's anyone this, uh, this afternoon that wants some prayers about this kind of stuff or is struggling with this kind of stuff, please talk to somebody. It doesn't have to be me, um, but talk to somebody near you that you trust, that you would like to pray with you or to talk with you or study with you or whatever it is, um, because that's what we're here for. And certainly... <laughs> When Richard's singing this song, it's not the only time you can approach these shortcomings or challenges, but it's certainly a good time, so I'd encourage you to do that. Richard's going to lead us in a song.